No, you stop. Hey, hey guys, stop sending me stuff. I don't want stuff right now. I'm selling stuff. I've got too much stuff. I'm just using stuff because I like it. Uh, I, I'm, some people have said I'm full of stuff. Um, <laughs> Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall. up the wall with our English dead. Yes. Uh, this is uh, that. That was the 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 famous quote from uh, Henry V. Shakespeare's Henry V. The Battle of Harfleur. We say it every time because it does feel a bit like we're about to fill up a breach in the radio world with our own dead. Because, oh, English dead. Let's fill it up with English dead, not American dead. But the quote is coming from an English person, so we would be kind of. In the Metaphorically, American, yeah, in the meta way, yeah, yeah. But there was a revolution, so we're not English anymore. We speak English. No, we actually don't speak English. We speak American. So we, we were, speak Mer. We, were, we speak American. We were English until we revolved, right? Okay, if that I suppose that makes sense. The Beatles sang a song about that. Yeah, you say we've got a revolution. You say you want a revolution. Yeah. Yep, that's the one. This is the yep. personal wealth coach where we do um, impersonations uh, and we attempt to be uh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon very poorly, but we do attempt. Actually, we're here to be economists. We're here to talk to you about the world of finance in general. What's happened this week? What's happened this year? What's happened uh, this thousand years? All those things are important, and they do help us plan. Not that we expect to be around a thousand years from now, but wouldn't it be nice? What? Speak for yourself, buddy. <clears throat> I, I do. I try, mostly, to speak for myself. When I try to speak for other people, they call me a ventriloquist. Mm. Yeah. I'm seven-tenths. I'm, I'm, I'm seven percent of my way through a thousand years. Yeah, you'll get there. You'll get there. You, you just not be, may not be aware of it. We, we don't know. Yeah, it could be. Could be. So this is the personal wealth coach. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation with old Baldy here, Jeff McLaurin, younger, but still not young, Baldy, Jake McClure, uh, we'd love to hear from you. The email address in here um, are, uh, email addresses are. The email, the email address are. I like yes, that. That's the good. email address are. Jeff at tpwc.com and Jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or the personal wealth coach. And uh, so we've got some disclosures before we can do anything else. We're already almost 10 minutes into the hour and we haven't even started disclosing yet. So first disclosure is that the personal wealth coach is the name of this radio program. But it's not just a radio program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Uh, that firm offers fiduciary investment advice. However, just because it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that they have in any way approved it. It slash us. More like slashing. The SEC is good at disapproval. They don't know how to approve. They, they even in their own writing, say they never approve anything. They do approve of IPOs, ultimately. Well, no. They allow them. They allow them. That's very different than approving them. 
So there's no approval uh, uh, even implied here. I think that's kind of laughable, but it's important. And the SEC is the one that wants us to make sure you know that, that they're not saying we're on the up and up. We're just registered with them. Cool. Okay. The other thing is that while the firm, the personal wealth coach, gives fiduciary investment advice, the radio program, which actually has the people from the firm in it, can't give investment advice on the air. Because investment advice, we have to know who you are. We have to know your situation. And it would probably be a little breach of privacy to be talking about it in front of all the other listeners, all two of us that are listening out here. Uh, So all that says is that on the radio, we're giving educational information. We're actually going to try to teach you stuff. Oh, no. (sighs) I know. It's hard. Boring. Um, Open your brain. Learn. No, I want to sit on a Saturday and do something else. What you, I don't, I've often said that the people that listen to our program on Saturday morning, they're just an oddball group. You're not watching cartoons or sports. All right. So you got some disclosures you want to throw out there too? The information we present on this radio program is designed to be educational, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to its accuracy or completeness. Said it fast enough. Although, wait a minute, although, although we have obtained it from sources we deem to be reliable. There you go. You said it fast enough, but the monotone needs work. You need to get less emotion yeah. in there. Let's see what we can do. The information we present on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. We make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Perfect. And if you just change the channel to this channel in the middle of that, uh, I think that's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, what else do we have to say? What else? Oh, we don't pay for the radio program. Yeah. We don't pay for the radio program. The program somehow is being paid for by town square media. They pay for all their airtime and I guess they're paying for it with other advertisement. We don't advertise with them Mm -hmm. for the, on the program. We do advertise for the program. So, while we're advertising on KTEM, which we don't do on the rest of Town Square Medium, we're, uh, we're just advertising for the radio program at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. They advertise for our program at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings, too. So but we, we, do, we do have a conflict of interest. More than one, I think. One. I think we've got more than one there. Go ahead. Well, people who listen to the program might get to know us and like us and give us money. That's true. Uh, and the, the clients that we already serve can listen to us on the air and get our take on what's going on. That's the big one. Yeah. So it's not like we're completely altruistic by being on here for 20 plus years free of charge, but it's 20 plus years free of charge. So come on, not completely altruistic is we're trying. Okay. We're trying. We've got some, some questions hanging out there. Two of them so far. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even hit what happened this week in the market. So what happened Something this week happened in the market? Well, I was in Oregon, so the market didn't happen. Right. I, I think this week in the market, there were a group of people buying from a group of people that were selling. Yes. And on to the next subject. Anyway, the S&P 500, affectionately known by us as the SPX, although I very rarely call it the SPX, but you have to define that because the S&P 500 can be defined different ways. Anyway. You rarely do it, but when you do, it is affectionately. Yes, very affectionately. It ended Friday by rising almost 1%, actually 0.81, but that's close enough. 
but during the week it was down and why was it down and it didn't get up enough that it overcame it didn't get down enough. it didn't get up enough to overcome its downness so it ended the week with a little bit of downness i like that and uh it fell 0.59 percent which is not significant but on monday it broke a record so it fell 0.59 percent from its previous record on friday which is very confusing yes which means it's not down very much the, the folks at the newspapers and the Wall Street Journal and places like that write about something. And anyway, it closed at 44.41.67 if you keep up with such things. Yes. It is up 18.25% a year to date. Now, why did, it, why did it fall this week? Because more people were trying to sell than were trying to buy. Well, not necessarily more people, but they were more, there was more, more selling. Could more have been shares. Yeah, more, more shares, shares were being sold than were then there was an interest to buy them at the you, price they were being sold. Yeah. You said it right, even though you mispronounced the word. You said more shells were being sold. Yes, more shells were being sold. That at, makes sense. At the seashore by Sally. Yeah. The SPACs are down quite a lot. Those are shells. Anyway, basically, COVID-19 Delta has got the bears excited, and they kind of beat down on the bulls a little bit during the week. Uh, the, everything keeps coming out, and they keep, getting little anecdotal pieces of evidence that maybe a lot of people are going to get really sick. And a lot of people are getting sick. As a matter of fact, in some areas of the United States, the, uh, COVID, uh, contagion rate is higher than it was at the peak during the regular session of COVID COVID in this after season session. And that's a significant issue. If it, a lot of projections say this won't peak until October in the United States. And if it keeps on doing like it's doing, they're concerned that there will be lockdowns. And I can see that there might be because where we were in where we were out in, uh, on the West Coast, the emergency you know, the emergency rooms were full, the hospitals are full. I understand that uh, Scott and White is at 133 percent capacity for its ICU or for for in general. I don't know in general, that's the bed bed capacity. Yeah. So that extra 33 percent of people, I don't know where they're putting them. Maybe they put them in tents. I don't know, but the the point is, we don't know how bad the Delta variant is going to get. One of the things we can say with a great deal of certainty, though, is it will only get so bad and then it'll get better. It's certainly not killing enough people to wipe out the population or and nobody so far that's gotten it has turned into a zombie. So those are very important issues. Yes, um, that we know of. All of this information comes from sources we deem to be reliable, and we have heard no reliably uh, deemed sources saying that zombies are occurring. Right. So that's a good sign. Those who are concerned at this pandemic because the zombie zombie copies is called the zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse. I think it's just called the zombie apocalypse. But you could combine two awkward words into one much more awkward word if you'd like. Okay. I, I, anyway. It sounds cool when you do that. I'm not trying to knock it. It's just that you're just making a more awkward word than we already had two awkward words to fill the spot. And there's. There's some good articles on that that have come out this week. We might want to talk about about how long these pandemics last and using the 1918 influenza epidemic right. pandemic as an example. But we anyway, can also look at polio and smallpox uh, in other areas um, as examples as well. So there's some great stuff out there. Did, did we cover the market? No. Well, all right. Get, you still have interest rates. You still have West Texas Intermediate. I have the CRSP mid-cap value index that we also followed off oh, 1.81%. Yeah. Now, the S&P 500, despite the fact the CRSP mid-cap value index dropped 1.81% on 
closing at 2453.21 is still ahead year to date with a 19.55% gain. Now that's this is something that you, it's Wait, important to understand only, about the market. Only 19.55? What's the world Yeah. Well, it's more volatile than the S&P 500, which is interesting because it's it, unusual. But it's, yeah. But it's smaller, no, it's smaller stocks. And smaller stocks tend to be more value, volatile than larger stocks. Right. So mid-cap value, mid-cap stocks tend to be more volatile than large-cap stocks. So it's still up more year-to-date than the S&P 500. It's real proud of that and bragged about it, that it was down 1.81% for the week. Uh, let's see, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note, and that's worth discussing, and I'm, we've already got a question on that, really. It has to do with the Treasury market in general. Dropped to one261 and the bottom line to it is more money is seeking safe haven in U.S. Treasuries. In the world, there is a consensus among major investors. And by major investors, you're talking about nation states and billionaires yep. and big corporations. That the safest place to put your money in the world is in the U.S. dollar. And a lot of them, an awful lot of people think that a 10-year loaning money to the United States for 10 years at a loss is a really good idea at this point. And the reason was explained by Will Rogers. It's a pretty good one. I like this quote. 1930s, he said, nowadays people are far more concerned about the return of their money than the return on their money. And I think that's what we're seeing. A lot yeah. of people are very concerned, outside the United States particularly, that the coronavirus is going to devastate their economy and they're finding someplace where they can put money. And in play, that's completely safe. And they, they're not buying gold. Gold prices have not soared. And in fact, gold prices have gone down a bit. They're not buying Bitcoin. They don't consider that particularly secure. Matter of fact, most people who the big money considers that particularly insecure, they're buying U.S. Treasuries. Now, that should tell you something. I presume most of the people who are listening to us, all both of them, are citizens of the United States or residents of the United States. It's quite a presumption there, but it, it may be accurate. But it boils down to the fact we have the most stable economic system and the most stable monetary system in the world by far. And I mean, when I say by far, and we'll get into that more during the rest of the show about how, why people believe that's true. Let me interject here real quick. We do get a lot of downloads from China and Russia. We also get a lot across Europe and all over the, the United States. We don't really? have very many in Canada or Mexico. We have more in Download Germany than we do there. Yeah. Downloads or uploads? Downloads. Like they, oh, downloaded they download our program from our website. Oh, yeah. I see. So you can't just say it's ar arguably, should, I, should I would be kind of joking, but we do have a lot of international listeners. Should we be speaking in Chinese or German then? No, I suspect they already speak English or it would be a really strange two hours. Well, I don't know. Strange two hours? Yeah, yes. Our, our program is <laughs> oh, very yeah. strange if you can't understand. I mean, it's strange already. If you, yeah, anyway. If you can't understand it, it's, yeah. So the Treasury note yield fell to 1.261, which is not outrageously low compared with where it has been. It was 0.91 at the beginning of the year. But the dollar rose, the Treasury note yield fell, which means that the if you happen to be holding a 10-year Treasury note at that point, the price rose. That's all. That's what happens. That's what happens when the interest rates rise on bonds is because the value of the bond is falling. When interest rates fall, it's because the value of the bond is rising. Right. And the Treasury is issuing like next to no debt at all right now because we're they've near the they ceiling. Passed, no, they, pa they passed the ceiling actually. 
And the sealing deadline went back into effect on July 31st. So the Treasury is not authorized to borrow any more money. So there's no new notes being issued. But don't worry about it because we have a budget bill that's expected to be passed maybe at the end um, of September. Well, the budget doesn't start until October 1st, does it? No, it doesn't. So that's the end of September is when the budget bill is coming. Uh, the the uh, the year for the United States government starts October 1st. But if we can't issue debt between now and then, there might be some issues. Get the issues. If, if we don't issue, there might be issues. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, West Texas intermediate crude sank 8.36%, which is large, a large drop, to 62.25 for this very simple reason for that one, actually. Well, there's two reasons for that. One, the dollar roses. When the dollar ro- the dollar roses, that sounds war of the roses. <laughs> the dollar the dollar rose, which causes one dollar to buy more barrels of oil, which means the price of oil goes Wait, down as the dollar well, goes up. Uh, one dollar will buy more of a part of a barrel of oil. You're right. Yeah, well, small, very barrels. small barrels. Very, very, very small, small barrels. Barrel. Very small. Yes. Barrels. Sampler barrels. You yeah. know, like those little half beer. Yeah, it's, it's like a glasses. That you get. Yeah. Uh, what do they call those? A flight of? Could I have a flight of oil, please? That'd be cool. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it sank to sixty-two twenty-five. Uh, growing inventories and a rising dollar. Why does it have growing inventories? Apparently, the Delta variant is having an effect on people's driving habits. People are driving less. There's less demand for gasoline. Uh, less demand for all the kind of stuff that makes vehicles move around. We had so, a, we had a question last week of was it a good idea for Biden to go and talk to OPEC about lowering the price of gasoline? And I had said, you know, it's a political move. It's a one group that might have a larger control of the output of oil and gas than the frackers, which are very disunited. It's not. They're un-united. in the United it, States. If it's ununited, yeah. that's like saying un unided. Um, so disunited group that are, that are basically doing whatever is in their own best interest, which is good. So Biden then goes to OPEC and says, lower gasoline prices, please. And look what happened this week. Gasoline prices went down. Now they're not connected, but in politics, this is one of those things that if you go to OPEC in January and prices come down in December, you can claim credit. This is, this is something that every president since OPEC has existed, has attempted. So is it a good idea? Well, it depends on what you mean by good. Politically, it's a fantastic idea. And this one had a, a result. They, now, they may not jump on it because next week the price of oil might go back up. Uh, unlikely, but it could. And if they jump on this and say, look, we caused the price of oil to go down, then it won't work very well for them. So they may just wait and see if there's a trend and then take credit for it. We'll see. So, well, that's, that's the market wrap. Okay. Uh, well, John sent us an email here, and the email is, John, thanks for, for the email. The closely, so his question is, what's the significance of the 530 spread? And that sounds like he knows his stuff. The 530 spread is something that less than 1% of the finance community follows this. But those that do follow it, are extremely jargon-oriented. They use words for things that we already have words for, but it makes them sound really important. Uh, it is an important gauge. What is the, the, the 530 spread? That sounds like something you'd put in a car 
or on a sandwich? Now that's what you that's what happens when you eat supper early at five thirty. Oh yeah, the five thirty spread. Here it is for you folks. Here's the good spread. We no. What it is, it's the difference in interest rates between the five year and the thirty year in the US Treasury market. And they watch it even though there's not a consistent ratio. There's not a consistent difference. They watch it to see what the kind of consensus in the bond market is on the expectation for long-term inflation. Because if we've got higher interest rates now and we say that's because, you know, we're afraid uh, that inflation is going to be there, so we're uh, selling bonds and buying stocks, that would cause interest rates to go up. Well, 30-year interest rates as a different from five-year interest rate is by some people believed to be a good indicator of what they think the long-term inflation rate's going to be. If, I if, prefer tea leaves. Yeah, if the spread is very small, if there's not a lot of difference between the two numbers, then the consensus is we probably don't have high inflation so long as the five-year rate is low. Is this complicated enough? It gets more complicated, so we're going to jump out of the nitty-gritty for a second and say that it is one of dozens of indicators that we look at in inflation. One of dozens, because it isn't that important an indicator. We did have a drop in that spread after the Fed minutes in June where they said, hey, we're going to be tapering back and we don't think there's much in the way of inflation ahead. But other stuff was going on at the same time. That's one where we can say that's probably the Fed minutes that caused that drop. But what it was is the consensus saying we don't expect long-term inflation to be out there. Is basically, it, the, go basically ahead. the Fed the Fed started talking about reducing purchases and uh, doing things like uh, they're not too concerned about inflation. They think it's transitory and they believe it's transitory in their minutes. And there's a lot of evidence that it is transitory. So people said, hey, there's not going to be high inflation in the future. So we're going to sell our 30-year treasuries. No, we're going to buy 30-year treasuries. Buy that 30 causes the interest rate. That, that, drops, that drops the interest rate. Again, it comes back to the fact that people trust dollars so much right now, trust the U.S. monetary system so much, they're willing to sink a lot of money for 30 years into the U.S., knowing that inflation is almost certainly going to be higher over the next 30 years than the interest they're being paid. So it's in essence a negative interest rate. It's just a better negative interest rate than like Germany's charging or being charged. I don't know how you, how do you, how do you pay a negative? In, that, that's, you charge. You charge you, and put, you pay them, you pay them back less than they gave you. you it's just amazing. I'm going to require that. Yeah. So uh, this is still breaking my brain, even though it shouldn't. This is something, just as a side note, let's, let's time out for a second on this subject, because that subject's a good, well, let, let's just answer it. What's the significance of the 530 spread? Not majorly, but it makes for good articles in the Wall Street Journal. There's not a great deal of significance to it. It hasn't been shown to be consistently an indicator of anything except for what's happening at this very moment. So uh, it's not a leading indicator. It's not a lagging indicator. And I'm not sure that it indicates anything at this moment, except that one is paying different than the other. Uh, a, pos- a positive 530 spread indicates that there's a positive yield curve. 
we can say that with a great deal of certainty. Right. And to come back to the concept of what's the significance, it's not that significant. What is significant when it comes to inflation? And these are numbers, short term, you can have thousands, maybe millions of things that could lead to inflation or deflation. It's just, it's completely on, and not possible to track that stuff. Um, long term, there's only productivity and demographics. If you're more productive, you have less inflation, unless the government's going nuts. So even long term, government spending kicks in as well. And that's part of, part of that is how we measure our GDP, how we measure inflation in general. Um, it gives a, a greater weighting to government spending than really it should. Uh, but all that being said, what we're looking at, what is pretty clear across the board, is that our productivity is increasing and we expect it to increase exponentially in the next decade. Those are That's the kryptonite of inflation. So if you can increase your productivity faster then the price of the product goes up from the supplies, then you can lower the price of the product even when the ingredients are becoming more expensive. And we're in that mode right now. How do we make more money with what we've got? Uh, and, we'll, and once the supply chain issues, and those are all the millions of things that are leading to short-term inflation, um, and this, do you mind just for a moment, I'm going to give an, an analogy that I gave to some folks this week, and I think it was a really good one. You've been you've been known to tell me that I mind very poorly. Uh, all right, um, so, I, so I'm not going to mind. Okay, you don't mind; it don't matter. It's good. Okay, so imagine that you are a distributor of widgets, because widget well stuff stuff is a better economic term than widget, because I've never seen a widget, but I've seen a lot of stuff. So you're the distributor for a lot of stuff, and you've got a big warehouse. And your warehouse, you order things to it. You order stuff from multiple suppliers of stuff. Uh, and you go directly to the source in a lot of cases. Sometimes you have to go to another distributor to get your stuff. But uh, most of the time, you're going directly to the manufacturer. So they're shipping you your stuff. Well, all your truck drivers um, recently got sick. So you're having trouble delivering well, your, wait, your wait, stuff wait to the places that actually sell the stuff to the public. All of them didn't get sick. Not all of them, just a lot of them. So you're having trouble delivering your stuff out of your warehouse. So your warehouse is full. The manufacturers of stuff have not had a problem with their truck drivers. So they've been stocking your warehouse. You don't have any room left. Are you planning on ordering more while your warehouse is bursting to the seams? No. You stop. Hey, hey, guys, stop sending me stuff. I don't want stuff right now. I'm selling stuff. I've got too much stuff. I'm just using stuff because I like it. Uh, I, I'm, some people have said I'm full of stuff. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is, there is a product called Great Stuff. Right. So we've suspended the stuff from the manufacturers. The distributor is now trying to distribute the stuff, but they're still having trouble with their truck drivers. Now back at the manufacturer, they realize all the warehouses that have been ordering stuff from them have stopped ordering stuff from them. And they've got all these truck drivers on the payroll. And they say, sorry guys, nobody's ordering stuff right now. We're going to have to lay you off. 
I know that last month you were in extra demand and we only hired you last month, but this month demand has dropped horribly. We don't know what's going on. You're going to need to just go on unemployment or something. Hopefully we can hire you back. So they get laid off. Well, the warehouse of stuff has been searching for truck drivers and suddenly all these truck drivers come onto the market and they go, we'll hire all of you. So they hire all the truck drivers and the truck drivers all show up and start distributing the stuff from the warehouse. They're taking it to the, the grocery stuff stores and the, uh, the bars and restaurants that sell stuff. Then the warehouse starts to empty and the distributor says to the manufacturer, oh, uh, you know, last month we said we didn't need any more stuff. Well, we need some more stuff now. We're actually able to get it out, and the demand is a lot higher than we expected because we hadn't been able to get it out there. So we would really like to order double the amount of stuff that we ordered last time because we have space to store it now. Well, the manufacturers say that would be great, but we have no truck drivers. So then the warehouse can't get its supply and it can't distribute to the people that sell the stuff. So they have to lay off the truck drivers who then get manufactured purchase. They, the manufacturers uh, say, come back and work for us. They distribute back to the warehouse. The warehouse fills up. This is not a never ending cycle. This is something that people figure out. This happens only once or twice. But that's where we are in this cycle. This is where the, the supply chain, when we say there's slack in it in one place, if it's too tight in the other, they say, oh, we can use this other slack from over there, but that slack's needed by somebody else later. We'll get it figured out, and in the process, we'll get better at it. So these stuff manufacturers and the stuff distributors will get better at figuring out when and where and how they distribute. The other factor is we're used to, over the last 10 years, a pretty steady state economy. Right. The economy grew to a fairly steady state. Uh, there were minor changes here and there that moved the stock market around. But everything was pretty steady state. Supply and demand. Supply would, would grow. Demand would grow. Everything was just in time. It was all predictable. It was all steady. It was cool. And we got used to that fact. We had very low inflation because we'd had a decade to build up our supply chains to meet exactly the demand that was coming along. And when we had a demand spike, it was like 1% different than, oh, look at the spike in demand over here. And we'd get very excited about that. And are we going to be able to deal with it? Yes, we're good. We have technology. But with the pandemic, everything has changed and it's still changed. We don't know what's coming next. We really don't. There's two things happened with the pandemic, one of which was in a sense, predictable, if you have a pandemic, this is going to happen. Demand would fall off, and then it would blossom back up again. It would blossom back up in a different space, and then it would sag back down again. And, but there's only a limited amount of ability to predict what was going to happen in a pandemic, because the last time we had a pandemic of this side was in 1918 through 1920. Actually, went into 21. And as a result, things are changing very, very quickly. But then, because of the speed of communication that we have today, the digital communication of email and Twitter and, and electronic or digital advertising and Amazon doing weird stuff. See, I'm using stuff. Stuff, um, stuff is an important economic term. It I, is. I plan on banning widgets from now on and just using stuff. Cool. All this was going on, and the American consumer, who is definitely the 800-pound gorilla in the room, changed their buying habits. I mean, they changed their buying habits massively. First, they saved up a tremendous amount of money. They were given a lot of money, too, but that's not the big thing. They, say they saved a tremendous amount of money. 
And then when they came back out of saving a tremendous amount of money in fear, they started buying things that were different than they bought before. And for instance, all of a sudden, a very large percentage, relatively speaking, of Americans decided they needed a new car. Well, that occurred after the chip industry has switched over to making chips for video games because people had stopped buying cars. And an unusually large number of people decided they wanted a new car. And new cars today are about half computer, half automobile. And the half that is computer is pretty complicated. And they have a shortage of chips. Well, it's gotten worse recently, by the way, because the Delta variant apparently has hit factories in Malaysia. Now, what's Malaysia got to do with automobiles? Oddly enough, a lot of the chips are assembled into components that are put in cars, the little electronic circuit boards and so on that go into car, that go into automobiles. A lot of that's done in Malaysia. Well, Malaysia is having a terrible surge of COVID-19 Delta variant. And as a result, a lot of the factories are getting shut down because there's just too many people in there with COVID and the hospitals are overwhelmed and people are dying. And now Toyota, for example, just had to shut down 30 to 40% of its total capacity across the world because they don't have enough of the components. The chips are pretty much starting to heal themselves and come in, but they don't have the components that chips are made from because the Malaysian factories are shutting down. And you can expect this to continue for at least another year, I would say. That's just an example. Yeah. Uh, that, that is uh, what, what we're seeing for the future. Manufacturing capability is improving. Man, that sounds like eco jargon when I say it. Manufacturing capability is improving. Sounds very uh, boring. What it means, there are factories being constructed in the desert. There are factories being constructed in the jungle. There are, let, let's do this Dr. Seuss, if you will. Factories are being constructed all over the place. A lot of them in the United States, which is a very major transition from what we were saying in the past. When chip manufacturers are choosing to manufacture in the United States, even though our labor prices are significantly higher still, you know, people say China's labor lost its labor uh, price advantage. Well, compared to America, they have not. Nowhere close. We still charge a lot more per hour than, than most of the other manufacturing folks in the world. So... When people choose to make a factory in the United States, they have to take that into account. They have to say it's going to cost more for the people. So they're hiring robots. And the robots are, robot is a term that can be applied to anything that's roboticized. The car or a, a CNC or a manufacturing factory. The entire factory can be automated. Is it a big robot? Maybe more like thousands and thousands of robots, but they're working together on a network. So it could be considered one major robot. And that's going to make the cost of labor drop. Elon Musk has said something that most futurists have said, going all the way back to the creating of Star Trek, that at some point technology will make it so that labor will be a choice for everybody at some point. because. If the robot can do it essentially for free, the prices for everything's going to drop and you're not going to be able to compete in the labor market against the robot. The only way you'll be able to compete in a labor market against a robot is by claiming that it's handmade. And that's not competing. Now you're in a niche market where people are saying, I will pay more for the story of a human that made this thing for me. And we see that already. So if we're looking at knives 
If you have you looked at butcher knives lately? I was looking at one for a gift, and my eyes just about popped out of my head from the prices. Have you seen the prices on these things? No, I haven't. And steel prices are up. That's true, but high quality butcher knives, chef style, can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. The most expensive ones are handmade. And when you in Japan, in Japan, I'm sure. In, no, in Japan, in the United States, in Germany, places where there's like a long history of craftsmanship. So these handmade on-site location, you know, in a blacksmith forge and they're carefully folding the steel and so on. When you look at the steel under a magnifying glass at, at a high magnification under a microscope, the steel that's made by machine, that's pounded by the machine that is baked and all the things, all the entire process of taking steel from rock to a finished product, it's higher quality. There's no doubt about that. The machine did it better. But the handmade one is going to be more expensive. And the reason why it's going to be more expensive is at some point, if you're double the sharpness of a razor blade, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be used as a razor blade. If the machine makes it that much better, it doesn't matter. If you can make something beautiful that has a story with it, then you can compete with a machine on labor. It's a choice. It's, it's because of the fact that our incomes are going up. Right. So all when that. You have ex, when, when you have excess money, you buy the story. Yeah. When you don't have excess money, you buy the fact. Excess money changes. You could be making the same amount of money, but if the price of all your food drops, and it has been over the last hundred years, then the story is something that you'll pay for. And that happens in the United States, even in the poverty level. When people are making purchases, they still have enough excess money to purchase extra priced things that have a story. This is across the board. Otherwise, you wouldn't buy Nike over a generic brand tennis shoe. Gives you bragging rights. Yeah. So this is, this is a, something that's just true behaviorally. And inflation has an impact on all of that. What's really happening with, with this magnified uh, growth in our manufacturing capability is the supply chains are getting shorter. And as they get shorter, they get more efficient. Uh, the longer the supply chain, we, we had the most fine-tuned supply chain that wrapped around the planet 20 different times and was kind of networked out. And you just take a little one link of that massive chain of wrapped network all the way around the planet 13 times, you break it, and the whole thing fell apart. It's happened in Malaysia when they, I didn't even know that components for cars were manufactured in Malaysia, but apparently almost all vehicles have components manufactured in Malaysia. So you know, without that one component, the car won't work. We're going to have more redundant supply chains and we're going to have more efficient supply chains. We're going to understand them better because enough people are spending enough money on this right now going, we got to do this better. Uh, people are studying this because there's a lot of money on the line. So it's going to improve. There's just no doubt in my mind about that. And we're about out of time. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail mate waiting during the weekend, real live people during the week locally at 254-947-1111. Or you can call us toll free at 1-800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where we've got recordings of the radio program going back lots of years. We've got 
um, links to podcasts. You can read our newsletter and sign up for our newsletter. You can use the contact form or you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. We also have podcasts at all of your favorite podcast providers. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. Thanks for listening. Promises, promises, promises.